0: How's it going, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Blind. I am your host, Chris Adams. If you're listening to us on iTunes, Podbean, whatever app you choose, make sure you hit that subscribe button, leave us a review, let us know what you think about the show. Um, Feedback, man. Whoever you guys want to see on here, let me know, and I'll reach out, try to make it happen. Been super busy the last two months, so I haven't been doing my uh, three-a-week been trying to at least do two a week a week for you guys, but uh, yeah, the goal is to get back on track and uh, keep bringing you guys different uh, different conversations with different guys. It's been a lot of fun. Super impressed with uh, you know the amount of followers and comments and messages I get all the time. It's been a blast, which has been really nice because it's so hot outside that it makes it difficult to be out in the shop. I would rather be out on the water with a beer in my hand and, uh, you know, having fun. So uh, doing these podcasts make it a little bit easier to get through. We're on the downside of summer. Duck season is coming around real soon. It uh, it doesn't seem like it, but yeah, man, like three or four weeks away, people are going to be shooting geese up in Nodak. So it's kind of, uh, kind of weird that it's already getting here because I think it was 102 today. Yeah. Anyways, I got another one for you guys. I don't know if I said make sure you follow along on um, Facebook, Instagram, under BTBN. If you haven't joined the podcast group, it's just BTBN Podcast. Send me a uh, a request, I'll add you to the group. It's a good way to contact me directly versus trying to send me a message because I'm so busy all the time that uh, I'm really bad about responding to messages so if you uh comment on the group i'll probably get back to you faster if you want yourself a paperweight of a duck call always feel free to reach out to me um check out unstable calls you can uh look at some of the pictures of different stuff that i've done in the past and uh if you want a really good looking paperweight that's been reviewed as not that bad or half decent feel free to hit me up um I got a, an insert going to get jigged. I'm going to send it to Mr. Mig this week to see what he thinks about it. It's been a few years since I've sent him one. So uh, if he uh, gives a halfway thumbs up, then uh, we'll send it to get jigged out. And, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So I got another one for you guys. He's been turning a calls for three, four years almost. I've been following his stuff on Instagram forever um we always kind of just chat back and forth so uh i'm excited to bring him another one to you he's another east coast guy out in charleston south carolina without further ado mr joey Damico. all right man how you doing today bud i'm doing good doing good just winding down
1: hanging out here in the shop
0: oh that's uh what I'm hanging out doing now, it seems to be the only place I can get some peace and quiet. We were talking right <laughs> before I, I hit record. I've been in a battle royale with a bunch of uh, seven and six-year-olds, so I'm ready for oh, a year and quiet. <laughs> there
1: you go. There you go.
0: Oh, man. So, uh, working on some calls?
1: Yeah, trying to get some stuff together. I've been, uh, after the call classic, I'm kind of... I finished like right in the middle, like average. <laughs> so I'm trying to take uh, some of uh, Domingo's comments about my ten board and tweak a few things and uh, get some inserts out with some guys to uh, try them and give me some feedback. So just kind of lining those up, and um, I have a, I've had a couple call of trades I need to get out. Um, it's been a little slower year for me in the shop, just just because of everything that's going on i think i sold 175 calls last year and this year i've sold 16 Dang, so it's dude.
0: uh it's been a it's been a big drop for me but um it's all good it's a, it's a not a full-time
1: gig for me it's definitely something that i can come out and just throw some shavings and relax a little bit
0: is it because of your work schedule with the COVID stuff
1: well, I think it's. I think you know. Uh, there's a retail shop downtown that carries. I'm in Charleston, South Carolina, and there's a, a retail shop called uh, Grady Urban that carries my calls, and they haven't been open uh, much. Um, you know, the traffic's been not great uh, with everything going on. But I just think in general, um, you know, all the all the different uh, festivals got canceled um and it just hasn't been a great year for me as far as as, far as getting my name out there but i mean it's a, it's all good I, like i said it's a seasonal thing for me and it's it's just it's not a full time gig and i just enjoy trying to get better at, at my sound and um you know that's where i get my enjoyment from so
0: i get you man one of the uh the things that i do if um you know, I'm having like a slowdown or anything like that, and I'm starting to weed through all the books and stuff like that. Is I'll throw up a uh, auction call just on my personal page or on the call page, like once every couple weeks, just something that I turned and nobody wanted to grab it or is it off the books. And um, guys will get a chance. I think I've sold some calls way, way, way too cheap that way. And if Uh-oh. I, I've had a lot of other call makers hit me up and they're like, "You got to stop doing that, man, because you're, kill- <laughs> you're killing yourself." And the way that most of the time that it works out is I'll let a guy grab like a you know 160 to 180 dollar call. Sometimes they'll go for like 100 to 120 bucks, but that guy will come back and he'll order five or six more calls over the year and a half, you know. So it ends up yeah. working out. It's kind of like a not free advertising, but you know it's that's one of the ways that if it's just slow because i've said in another podcast i don't really care if i sell calls i just right. want to sell them so i can have money to buy material because yeah. like you man it's just it's for fun um i like to do it so that way i can have a little bit of extra spending money if we want to go on vacation or something like that it's not gonna you know be something that i have to take money out of bills or anything like that for but that's the main reason I like doing it is just so I can buy more material and you know if I see a a really cool blank that pops up and I'm just like okay I'm buying it like I'm not thinking about it it's just "Ah, all right I'm gonna buy it yeah so maybe if I don't know if that's anything that you're even concerned with that's a idea maybe to grab some customers and that repeat business
1: yeah I think uh, I need to get more active with that, just some posting things, and um, I've never really been a huge fan of, of the the waffles, but um, I know that there's there's <laughs> some guys that run some of those pages that have reached out to me, and I just had not I don't know put anything together for them yet. Yeah, I
0: don't I don't know exactly. I just talked about on a, I guess for people it'll be a day's difference, but like an hour ago I was talking to Michael about that. And I feel like that can really run you ragged. If, say, say one of the guys that's running a waffle page, and I don't even know if that's how they do it, but say they want to buy 10 calls for you for 100 bucks. You know, yeah. you are like, cool, there's a thousand bucks right there at the top, but then they waffle them all for 150. So they make their money and you're making your money. And it's just like, you're you know, you'll start seeing your numbers climb for how many calls that you're doing. It's kind of like selling at the retail store, I'm sure. Like, if you want to put your calls in Bass Pro, you're going to go from making a 50% or 100%, you know, margin. Say you build a call for 50 and you're selling it for 100, that type of thing, down Mm -hmm. to, like, building the call for 50 and then getting $10 off every call. You might sell more, but it's like, is the margin worth it?
1: Yeah. No, I hear you. I, I've been blessed to uh, to have uh, the shop downtown uh, here in Charleston to uh, pick pick me, you know a couple dozen calls up last year from me, and um, it, it's just one of those things that uh, I I know the, the owner and
0: um, I know you know a few people that that have taken the time to go in
1: there and and uh, patronize his business and and you know. See my calls in there too, so that's kind of a, a cool thing for you know. I haven't been doing it. Let's see, I started in 2016 is when I got my first lay, so I haven't really been doing it that long. Um, but yeah, just just knowing that uh, that I got that support, that little avenue is kind of it's kind of fun.
0: Well, and I'm sure it's cool to uh, you know. I don't know if you've met anybody around you know, your area out at the, the marsh or something like that that has has one of your calls or has heard of it or something like that. That's always kind of a cool feeling too.
1: Yeah, yeah. I made some calls for a uh, couple guys that guide that live here in Charleston, but they either guide up in Canada or down in Louisiana, and uh, I, that was mostly for you know, kind of feedback on – on, uh, how the call performed and, and how the fit and finish was, and, um, you know, got some pretty good response from it, so that was, uh, a nice thing too, uh, but yeah, anytime you run into somebody who happens to be wearing one on their lanyard when you're coming out of the marsh is, is a cool feeling.
0: It's, it's super weird, man. Um, we ran a little local TV show, I'm sure you've probably heard me mention it, you know, it's, it was nothing big, and no no famous or anything like that but uh you know it was just something that i did before i started making calls and then i continued it once i was making calls for a little bit but it was really weird like going to bass pro and i only say bass pro because that's we're in springfield missouri and that's the head of it so that's like our big mecca here and having people recognize me from the show and it didn't happen super often but there was occasion and uh it was like you actually watch local tv like <laughs> they're like oh dude it's so cool and i'm like well trust me uh, you're not missing anything like glamorous or anything like that we're just yeah, a bunch of idiots yeah. out here <laughs> no that's awesome so no, it's definitely awesome you were talking about the uh the call nuts classic what'd you think of it
1: i thought it was great um you know, I know that not everyone's going to have the same idea for every contest, or um, you know, there's always going to be some, not necessarily pushback, but you know, uh, some flaws in people's mind. But I thought it was really good. I mean, so much props to Domingo for running 80 calls or however many calls he did, and taking the time to do that. Um, you know, he's a—I guess he's a full-time callmaker and. I mean, that had to take a good chunk of time out of, uh, you know, when he would have been making calls. But um, I hate to say the, the new normal. I hate that wording, and, and I hope it's not. But, um, you know, I'm a competitive guy. So if I can improve, if I can enter something and keep improving, that's what I want to do. Um, I was a golf professional for Nine years before I got into construction, and I was, you know, competitive at that. Grew up playing sports, competitive at that. So, just one other avenue to kind of, you know, not necessarily express myself, but to to get out there and and try to compete.
0: You were a golf professional, like a uh, like a uh, like a club fitter, sales, or were you playing professionally?
1: No, I did. I was like, I think you interviewed. Uh, was it Randy? Um, somebody else was on that was a golf professional. Yeah, that's I what gonna, I did.
0: I was gonna say I had somebody else. Um, man, I honestly, off the top of my head, I don't remember who it was. And I'm freaking Meredith works at a damn golf course. I was gonna say, what is what's up with all you guys in freaking golf? <laughs> I've
1: been helping him with his swing a little bit. He's sending me some videos and trying to get him to flatten out his ball fly a little bit, but, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I just, I started playing when I was younger. I played ice hockey, lacrosse, and golf growing up, and, uh, that was the, the one game that kind of stuck with me through college, and then, um, you know, that was, the, that was, I got my, uh, Class A membership, and, was a teaching pro and an assistant pro for, for nine years and um, really enjoyed the, the business. And uh, when I had my, my daughter uh, in 2015, that's when I got out. Just, to, I think it was Randy was saying it, you know, just to actually have weekends and holidays again um, and not have to be at the golf course. Uh, oh, dark 30.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. So are you from Charleston?
1: I'm not. I'm actually from Southern Maryland.
0: I was uh, going to say, lacrosse, ice hockey, and golf. <laughs> I mean, golf is definitely an East Coast, lower East Coast thing. But there, I i think I've seen like three lacrosse freaking teams here in Springfield. Like, it's not a very common thing. It's super badass, yeah, it, though.
1: It's, it's catching fire, I think, on the coast right now. Um, you know, it, it's the hotbeds, you know, New Jersey, New York, um, Maryland, Delaware, definitely the hotbed, and but um, it's starting to grow on, on the West Coast and in Colorado. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a it's an intense sport. I mean, it's it's a lot of fun. It's um, you know, it, it's just a good. it to me, I hate soccer and like I don't know, I hate. I don't hate baseball. Baseball, I enjoy those kind of games. I, I I'd rather play them than watch them. But like ice hockey and lacrosse, to me, if you're if you're watching on TV, it's just as exciting as if you're playing the game.
0: So, but here's my thought on that: baseball was my the variation of my first word. I right? love baseball to death. I grew up – my favorite team is the Braves. They were on TBS every single night growing up, and they were the team of the 90s. I was a bandwagon freaking Braves fan from Missouri. I hate the Cardinals. I I root for the Royals because they sucked my whole life until just recently. But uh, I would rather do anything than watch a team that I don't care about play baseball on TV. It is, Yeah. is – I'm past that. Our culture is past that. I love baseball to death. I would watch a Braves game if it was on TV, but I'm not going to watch any other team unless it's the playoffs. Um, Hockey, the greatest single professional sporting event I have ever been to, aside from, like, fighting. Fighting, like, UFC cage matches, that type of stuff. I love that. But uh, hockey is so awesome. It's not as good on TV just because of the understanding of it compared to most games. But freaking lacrosse, dude, does not get any kind of coverage. And that, like, that game is ridiculous. You <laughs> see some, it's like, it's kind of like rugby to me, man. You don't see anybody watching rugby either, but rugby freaking crazy, too.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's, um, I guess it started with Native Americans and they would, Essentially, play for turf, you know, they would play to the depth for territory. Um, and that's how it evolved, like from the Indians. And, um, I mean, it's as fast and hard as, as, uh, as ice hockey is just, you know, out on the field. Um, uh, I mean, your, your top level guys are throwing the ball over 100 miles an hour, you know, tennis ball size. Full rubber, uh, you know it's um, it's intense. Uh, there's there's a guy that went to my high school that um, went to Johns Hopkins and is is has started his own uh, professional league, and I think they're getting ready to start back up. Dude, uh, his that, name is Paul Rabel. That's
0: super
1: freaking cool. Yeah, I'm not sure how many teams are playing. I think they're getting together in Utah, but it's going to be uh, it's going to be pretty awesome to watch.
0: Yeah, have you ever seen on uh, I can't, it wasn't lacrosse because they didn't have the net with the stick Never mind, I'm going to totally abandon that thought because it wasn't lacrosse What's that game <laughs> with the hoop that's similar to lacrosse, same concept but it's like an arched uh, like an arched like hand thing that you th- you throw it, you know, you'll see kids playing it on the beach and stuff like that You know what I'm talking uh, about? Is it like a Scottish game? I am <laughs> You're asking the wrong guy for that, man. Um, it's it's like the concept, like you can play catch with it, but instead of having the net with the stick, you know, uh-huh. like, a, like a lacrosse, I don't know what the hell you call a lacrosse handle. What, what's that's that? lacrosse stick, yeah. Lacrosse stick. Okay, that's yeah. what I wanted to say, but that didn't sound right to me. It's that concept, but it's like a uh, curved arch, and you can catch it in the curvature and then fling it. I think it's like Australian or something. They did it in jackass. Where Johnny Knoxville was getting hit by a a Uh, professional. Is that
1: like indoors though?
0: I think it's an outdoor thing, but he was getting hit with it in a racquetball like court. (laughs) I can't remember what it was, man, but yeah, that totally went off base with that stuff. But I don't know. I'll I'll have to look it up. Yeah. Well, do you you know that crazy freaking Aztec game where it was like a a hoop up on the freaking wall and he threw it It was like a lacrosse stick, but you threw the ball through the freaking hoop and they played till the death or whatever. (laughs) Do you know what I'm talking Uh, about? No, I'll have to look into that. Okay, so back in the day, and I am not a history major history buff. I am just an idiot out in his garage talking about it. But the (laughs) way I understand was there was like a hoop on the wall, kind of like basketball, but they would use these lacrosse-style sticks and throw the ball through the hoop, and they thought forever that the losing team would get sacrificed afterwards oh, it turns out it was the fucking winning team that would get sacrificed <laughs> so joe rogan had a joke about it and he's like that had to be the longest game ever oh yeah <laughs> oops i missed again you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> the game of mediocrity <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> so you're uh, you're from maryland is that where you got into duck hunting at
1: you know, I didn't duck hunt a, a whole bunch back in Maryland, um, although I missed out on some good opportunities, too. We had uh, a lot of geese. I grew up between the Patuxent River and the Chesapeake Bay, okay. so we had a lot of geese and ducks. Um, I've, I've since gone back to Maryland and hunted a whole bunch, uh, like, all around where I grew up, um, but I, I have, I, you know, I was more of a deer hunter and kind of doing sports, and I would go with my dad and his uh, friend um, deer hunting, and and, uh, it wasn't really until I got out of college, uh, and I was working down at Harbortown, and I I started, um, you know, getting into uh, waterfowl, and then moved up to Charleston, we have what they call the the Ace Basin here, and um, we have the Ace Basin and the Santee Delta, which are two just historic spots uh, of rice plantations and um, so when I got here you know we have we have a declining duck population but um, it's still pretty good when it all comes together and you're out in the salt marsh that, um,
0: that delta you're talking about isn't that like a big wintering ground for the Atlantic yes yeah okay mm-hmm. yeah and how, um, that what is that, like an so, hour and a half south, east southwest of you guys?
1: So, the Ace Basin's an hour south of me, uh, and the Santee Delta's an hour north of me. Gotcha. And um, the uh, Santee Delta has uh, probably a little bit more history than the Ace Basin, just because the, the, uh, the old Santee Gun Club, uh, which was sold to the state, probably... I don't know, 30 years ago or so. Um, and it has five or six properties that are, um, you know, a couple right there on the ocean and then a couple off the intercoastal. And then there's one on the other side of 17 that's, uh, it used to be if you if you wanted to put in for a draw hunt and you wanted to kill mallards, you put in for there, uh, Santee Delta, Delta West. But um, I hunted it probably two or three years ago. And never pulled the trigger, and that was pretty frustrating. Our our draw hunts are, you know, you put in with your group every every year, and you get you get drawn probably I don't know every three years, every four years, and they have just gone to crap
0: lately. It's it's so bad. Our our mismanagement
1: of of uh, state land is so bad.
0: Well, why is the freaking duck population falling off so bad out there? Because I know the East Coast is really struggling with that right now. Yeah, I mean,
1: I, I just saw today that they, um, the bluebills, they're, they're taking those down to one after, like, in, when you get into the second season. Um, so we're only going to be able to kill one of them. Uh, you know, my take on it is this. Um, number one we're not not—we're our state isn't producing rice or grain you know
0: like we used to everything's kind of gone west and so the birds that
1: like the the parts of the lake that used to get mallards um, and people from Arkansas used to drive over here to, to hunt you know it's just all wood ducks now and you're lucky if the you know the powers to be keep the level of the lake at the proper level to be able to hunt. Um,
0: Have they let like the the water like be overtaken? Like
1: no, I mean th- they care more about uh, releasing carp, so it keeps the vegetation clean for um, people that are using the lake and for that purpose for fishing or for you know i don't know tubing or whatever you do on the lake um, <laughs> right so pretty much has killed our eelgrass. our hydrilla is just all but gone uh with them releasing the carp um but I, you know i think it's like a three-prong approach one we don't have the food anymore two the hunting pressure is there's some days i think that there's more hunters in south carolina than there are ducks um, which is a good thing but it's not you know hunters these days aren't being taught how to how to, how to to hunt you know you used to go out with a mentor or somebody that would teach you the proper ways um, and that's not happening anymore just every 16 year old, 18 year old that can shake loose and sky bust is going out and Unfortunately, that's how they're learning to hunt um, instead of the older generation taking them and being a true mentor for them. Um, but the the, you know, the third thing is we're just not... It's just the weather's just not happening. Um, I mean, a friend of mine was out in Kansas. Uh, I think it was two years ago, and there's birds just hanging out in late January in Kansas, like... Nebraska, same thing, birds just hanging out, uh, not migrating is, and if, if Wisconsin and, um, the Great Lakes area where we get a lot of our mallards, if that's not freezing up, we're not getting birds, so.
0: That's how it look. is here, man. We, uh, when I first started hunting back early, early 2011, 2010, it, it, um, we didn't get birds until December time frame. About right before Christmas, a couple weeks before Christmas, that's when it was going to get good. Like, you you went out just to go out, you know, for the first couple weeks. But, uh, you know, it was going to get good mid to late December. Now it's not until, like, the last two weeks of season. You'll get your yeah. first good push of birds, you know, in uh, that Thanksgiving time frame, and then it's just stale until the 15th of January, and after season we'll be just loaded with birds because i live right there on that missouri kansas line on the the southern point and Mm -hmm. uh yeah man it's it's very much like that you'll have birds hanging out there freaking all winter long it's crazy they just keep you know
1: enough open on some of the ponds that they can go feed in the fields and leave you know it might be degrees or something like that overnight and they're keeping just a spot open but there's 250 yards of ice between them and you and you you can't hunt them on the water and you can't hunt them in the field so
0: well and you know there's enough power plant lakes and like city ponds and stuff like that with you know fountains on them and stuff that it keeps that water open but it's like they're all in one area and then they'll start feeding nocturnal you know, you won't see birds oh, start coming yeah. off the roost until after shooting time. Hmm. Yeah, so it's a, uh, it's very strange around here. I wish I could even tell you how the ducks are patterning, pattern, patterning, patterning. Yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> you know, in this area of the world. But like I said, we only get them for two weeks where they're really here, and it's tough to pattern anything in the two weeks. But uh, they go nocturnal quick where there's a lot of pressure. And uh, I happen to live in a very fortunate part of the state that there's not a lot of pressure because there's not very many ducks. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, you know, we have a 10th. Missouri is like a very big mecca of mallards. Everybody's, oh, yeah, you want to go to Missouri to hunt mallards. Yeah, you do want to go to Missouri to hunt mallards, just not on this corner of the state because they're not here. The flyway yeah. goes around us. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, I'm fortunate, you know, there's there's not a ton of birds, but there's also more turkey and deer hunters down here. You don't get very many waterfowlers.
1: Yeah, that's crazy to me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right? People just assume, well, it's kind of like Arkansas. People are like, oh, you can go to Arkansas and kill the crap out of birds. Well, yeah, if you go to the right part of Arkansas, if you go over in the Ozark Mountains that's just due yeah. south of me, you're not going to see a duck. Exactly. So it's super goofy man but uh so how, how'd you get into call making
1: um you know i'm just one of those guys where i've always you know i got into to hunting and then i got into waterfowling and then I, I was like you know what i think i can make a decoy and so i made a dozen decoys and then messing around with some calls and you know what i think i can make a call and Um, just one thing led to another and, um, you know, it's kind of just, I think most waterfowlers are, they want to train their dog. They want to build a boat. They want to, you know, make a dozen decoys. They want to kind of put their twist on things. You know, I'm not saying I hunt over my own decoys, but, you know, I sure took some time to figure out how to do it and learn about the history of it. And then, you know, maybe when I'm not chasing the, my little girl around and i got some extra time after work, I can kind of do a, a couple more uh, things just to keep the season going, you know. Um, I think my, you know, I've, I've trained dogs, I've uh, built calls, I've made decoys. I think my next thing I want to do is build a boat, build some sneak boats to take down and hunt in the salt marsh. Um, I think that'd be pretty cool. have have a a boat you made blow call you made over shoot uh, birds over decoys you carved that'd be pretty cool
0: that's dude that's a throwback to 1900 man that's I was talking to uh, Waylon Thompson about just the same thing you know he doesn't do his own decoys that I know of yet you know but uh those guys who are just I think you said it the best, you know, with just a way to stay involved with waterfowl season that doesn't involve the uh, 60 or 90 days, whatever you get for your season, just a way yeah. to be surrounded by it. But like you said, so many guys are finding a way to do that, whether it's dog work, calls, decoys, the boat thing, dude, That's that sounds crazy to me, but uh, I'm super excited to see you do it. <laughs> You were in the Navy. I heard you talking. I was, like, listening to uh, one of the, I think it was uh, Domingo's podcast, and y'all were talking about going out in the boat, and you are like, nope, not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, nope. And that's exactly right, man. I, I love the Navy. I love the ocean. I love being out in the water. I've been out in the water every single weekend this summer. Um, but, yeah, being out in the water in the freezing cold doesn't sound like a great time to me. Uh, well, maybe if I
1: had if- – if I had corn, cornfields and, uh, you know, other agriculture around me, I don't think I'd put waders on the rest of my life.
0: Man, <laughs> I uh, I struggle to put waders on. We don't have, in this part of the state, we don't have hardly any ag land. That's why it's mm-hmm. not super uh, ducky in this part of the state. We have a lot of clay and rocks. I live in the Ozark Mountains. Um, uh uh-huh. So it's not great for that, but I can drive an hour and a half in almost any direction aside from just straight south and being some of the best duck hunting in the yeah. world. So, yeah, man, I hate waiters with a passion. Um, I wear uh, my lacrosse knee-high boots as much as possible. If we're going to be yeah. hunting over water, decoys aren't going, you know, over two feet deep if I can help it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, man, it's... <sighs> Boats are just so sketchy. And like around here, you have a couple of really good lakes that are just, you know, for around here, really good duck hunting lakes. But every single year, you hear of somebody freaking capsizing a boat, freezing to death, drowning, doing something crazy. And there's, that's my biggest concern. Like if it's just me and one buddy out in a boat, I'm not worried about it. I've spent enough time yeah. around boats. But if it's me and we have three or four guys and dog decoys or you know uh, somebody that we haven't hunted with before i've been in boats before where people they stand up or something crazy you know and like a 48 foot wide or 48 inch wide and you're like dude sit down like we're already we're at our limit right now we're not you know i'm not going to overload the boat but i'm not going to be stupid and stand up and try to start flailing around i uh even if you make it back to shore, you know, there's a good chance you are going to freaking freeze to death. Oh, yeah. So.
1: No, I guess I'm in love with the, uh, you know, the idea of, like, I, I am very outgoing and I hardly hunt by myself. But uh, there's some kind of nostalgic vision I have of, like, you know, up in New Jersey, I had, like, the Barnegat Bay sneak boats, and it was just, like, one guy, his his dogs and decoys and they sailed them before they had you know outboard motors. and like to me that style of boat worked perfect here in charleston
0: a little push pole um, style
1: yeah and just depending where you're putting out and you know not not a long run i mean you're not really going to kill a bunch of puddle ducks where it's very deep water Anyway, so if you're not really scouting and figuring out where you got to put in, um, well, it's teach their
0: own. <laughs> no, but. no, man, I, I can't, I 100% get you. I can't tell you how many great hunts that I haven't had because I didn't want to take a boat to get there. And if it's yeah. not, if it's not walkable, and there's a lot of times, like you know, me and my buddy, we main, I have like a group of two or three guys that i hunt with all the time we just kind of rotate you know back and forth who can go today who can't go today there's usually Uh four or five of us and uh you know the weather will be right and we know the history of different places and you know what to expect for the most part and if there's birds around they're going to be using this hole because everything else is froze up this bend of this river is going to be really good and there's been times where i'll uh, i'll hit up my buddy i'm like hey man the weather's looking right for this one spot i know we haven't been there and scouted it yet but uh you know you want to get out there and check it out and if it doesn't work out you know we'll start running around different places in that area and check them out and he's like or you know it's been me too it's like yeah but that place is like a good freaking half mile walk in and uh <laughs> We have a lot of places around the house that we can go and drive straight up to the blind and, you know, sure. throw out the decoys and shoot three or four birds and go back home by eight o'clock.
1: At the Waffle House on the way home.
0: Dude, it's there's not even a Waffle House in between some of the places. Oh jeez. Yeah, it's uh, it's like I said, man. The thing about uh, being down here, is I live just south of Springfield, like ten miles. And it turns <clears throat> into all, like, cattle field lands after that. So you have, like, big cow ponds and stuff like that and natural springs and just different little water holes. And there's a lot of resident geese that hang out around here. We had a good, you know, um, in that one specific area, we had a good resident population of, like, 80 to 100. It stays pretty consistent, even with us hunting them. And it's yeah. like, if all else fails, if nothing's looking good, we can go out. My buddy has a one of his blinds is like, I don't know, a quarter mile from his house. And it's like, yeah, we can just drive out throw out stuff. It's like 10 minutes from my house. <laughs> we don't have to no, put any work into this thing. If we shoot something cool, if we don't, we'll go home and have some breakfast.
1: The, the old Charles, Charlestonians call that a slipper slip shoot. That's a slipper shoot.
0: A slipper so they don't, shoot. They
1: don't even have to get out of their bedroom slippers and they go out and shuffle out on their plantation and go kill their wood ducks and maybe a gavel or two and then back inside for breakfast.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So what brought you down to Charleston?
1: Uh, Golf did, yeah. Uh, So I left Maryland after I graduated. Um, I went to uh, Methodist University, which is in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Um, And then from there, I got a job at Harbortown, which is down in Hilton Head. I was a golf professional there for uh, about almost four years. And I met my wife there, and then um, she was just starting uh, at a bank, and the bank asked her to move up to Charleston. And so it was kind of like, well, you can either move up to Charleston with me or you can find another girl to date. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, I think I might look for a job in Charleston. (laughs)
0: Oh, yeah, you know, dude, Charleston's so freaking cool of a town. I so, I just love that area of the country, man. I'm a big uh, southwest or uh, southeast fan. You know, the Georgia, the Alabama, the South Carolina. Mm-hmm. It's just, I don't know, it's a really cool area, man. And there's so much history involved in Charleston that makes it just, it's just different. People have to go there oh, and experience yeah. it, man.
1: It's. uh, I think we've been named like the number one tourist city for like the last ten years or something like that, like the number one destination in America,
0: which is kind of cool. Well, yeah, especially with like it's not New York City, it's not L.A., you know, it's it's not you're not having these big crazy. It's not Boston, you know, but it's there's just something unique about it, man. It's that. Old school 17, that colonial tie, you know, it's just America, man. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've, when I got out of golf, I went into construction and just um, was working uh, downtown um, and renovating some of these older houses downtown. It's just like so awesome just to think about, you know, you get under a house and you're in a crawl space and you look over and there's a, a dang well that somebody made two hundred and fifty years ago, um, you know, out of bricks that were thrown together with clay and whatever else they could find. Um, you know, it it's pretty. It make you think a little bit.
0: Well, and there's a lot of buildings there that have been around longer than the country's been around. You know. Oh yeah. Because what Charleston was like a early 1600s, wasn't it? Like 1620s.
1: Yeah, it was actually it, it's uh, what, what I would consider the birthplace of golf because they have uh, the first um, record of like clubs being shipped from England in like the 1690s or something like that. Um, so we know that uh, you know there's records of that, and people were starting to you know frequent the city and 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 it's starting to get a name as a shipping town, so. Did
0: you ever have to deal with uh, a lot of assholes while you were doing golf stuff?
1: Uh, when I, so, most of my uh, golf career, I was at private golf courses, uh, which, you know, at the end of the day, you can really only keep about 80% of the people happy. <laughs> um, right. You know, the resort, I was, so I was at Harbortown, and i think more people were happier there than at some of the private courses you know that i worked at um because they're on vacation you know and you you'd actually see the same people year after year uh them coming down and then um harbortown hosts uh the heritage which is a pga tour event and um so then you get to see the, the the pros that would come to town and a lot of them would come in like a few days. Like if they missed the cut at Augusta, they would come in a few days early. And, um, the course would be closed, but they could go practice or whatever. And um, you know, you just it was just people were happier there. And then you know, you look at some of these places I worked that are private, and like I said, you can only keep about eighty percent of the people happy in this world. I think the other twenty, you just gotta let go. <laughs>
0: Did you ever have to deal with any of the tour guys?
1: Uh, just, what do you mean, like, deal with them? Like,
0: like just... any of the, I mean, did you have interactions with, you know, like, a John oh, yeah. Daly or anything like that?
1: Yeah, I got I got some funny stories with John Daly. He, uh...
0: I bet you have a ton of them. He's a crazy <laughs> son of a gun.
1: So, he came, I was working at Bulls Bay Golf Club, which is in Allendahl. Um It's about... Third minutes or so north of the city and um, he came Darius Rucker is a member there and there's a couple other um, golf professionals that are members there that uh, like Dustin Johnson played out there a good bit um, and I think Darius and Hootie were in the blowfish were putting on a tournament and Daly came in uh, to hit like drivers on the 10th hole for everyone and he was just hitting everyone's drive just ripping them and he came into town in his little rv or whatever and um he played golf at the course the day before uh the tournament and i just remember like he was through like maybe six or eight holes something like that and we had to go run him another bottle of crown royal because he was like (laughs) And then, and then later on that night, the night before the tournament, we were all just kind of sitting around upstairs. And uh, Mark Bryan was up there, and Darius, and um, John Daly, and a couple other guys uh, that are in the music industry. But we we're all just like sitting around, kind of chewing the fat, and um, they are passing the guitar around, and everyone's just kind of taking a turn playing guitar and talking it was it was pretty cool it was i don't know the the, the golf business was it, it treated me right for a while it just got to, uh, to where i i needed to make sure i was putting my family first
0: yeah man i can imagine are they uh th- were they as cool in person as like it seemed like did you ever meet anybody you don't have to mention any names that you're just like man i thought you were going to be cool <laughs> but they but they weren't on, guys on tour? Anybody, man. Like, uh, you know, you, you guys had people that are on tour. You had celebrities come through.
1: Yeah, I mean, so of the tour guys, most of them were, you know, all business. Um, there was only one, like, uh, uh, I, I, I'll say two. There were two guys that came through Harbortown that were complete dicks. Uh, you know, I guess sometimes you catch people on bad days or whatever, but... I remember one of our um, locker room attendants, he was, uh, he called on the radio. Um, and this uh, I'll just say a player from Australia um, was cussing him out as he's like calling the radio um, because he said that on 18, he, he touched his shoe that my locker room attendant had cleaned or, you know, shined. He said he touched his shoe and then it caused him to lose his grip. And then he had a bad shot and cost him, like, making the cut or whatever. I mean, just absurd things that had to do with, you know, no one's playing for 36 holes, but this guy's taking his anger and frustration out of my locker room attendant. Just, I don't know.
0: Yeah, just pre Madonna stuff, man.
1: Yeah, and I think the only other one, and it's pretty funny because... Um, the The guys kind of got back at him. The couple guys that are on tour got to get back at them But uh, we had somebody that came in, and and you know, for the most part, you 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 get a relationship with these with the guys on tour, you know them from like the younger guys. I know a lot of the younger guys because you know I either played golf in junior golf with them or I um, watched them, you know, as they came through and. And kind of worked their way through the ranks, so I knew them, you know, sort of on a first name basis. But uh, there was one guy that I kind of was like, you know, hey, you know, first name, and uh, I'd known him, you know, seen him at the event, you know, for like three years now, and he's like, it's Mister, and then his last name. I was like, oh, okay, that's uh, that's cool. Yeah, I got it from here on out. Yeah,
0: that's what we're doing now, right? (laughs)
1: I mean, one of the guys one of the other pros uh, heard heard him you know say that to me in the in the locker room and he went and got a piece of paper and he like you know just bastardized him you know put like Mr the guy's last name on his locker and like whatever <laughs> to one of the stalls and like said Mr his last name only <laughs> you know his stall only <laughs> so i mean i don't know life's too short to be that
0: you know stuck up. <laughs> hey arrogant man when you there's a thing when people you know they get to a certain level of success that they uh, they forget where they came from man
1: yeah well the most of i would say the overwhelming majority of the guys that are on tour are just another another guy that i mean you look at all the guys that hunt and fish on tour you look at um, you know, Boo Weekly and, uh, Davis Love the Third. And, um, I'm trying to think, uh, there's one of the guys from, uh, David Times from Louisiana is a huge duck hunter. Um, but I mean, they're just regular guys. And same with celebrities, you know, like, uh, the guy, the guys from the band, uh, that are members out of Bulls Bay, they were just regular guys, just, trying to have four hours to enjoy god's creation you know
0: right just just get out there and be normal people man i can't imagine i've been watching a lot of uh the last dance it finally came out on netflix Uh i've been binging that and uh there's a a scene where jordan's just sitting in his freaking hotel room and he's like, you know, you think you want all the money and the fame. And he's like, honestly, this is what I live for. These <laughs> these hours of peace and quiet in my hotel room where I'm locked up inside by myself where nobody's bothering me. Oh, yeah. And it's like, I can't even imagine living that life, you know? I worked at a club just outside of D.C. when I was growing up. Uh, and then Jordan played there a, a couple times. And he... Yeah, he he was
1: uh, he was all business even on the golf course, but then he would get done and, and be smoking a cigar and and chatted up with us. You know, so it was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, dude, that is so freaking crazy. See, you're over here, we're talking, and if I wouldn't have brought any of that up, you wouldn't have mentioned anything. <laughs> you guys kill me with all these crazy stories and life experiences. <laughs> I have to dig and div- dissect out of you guys.
1: Man, I hadn't talked to golf in a while.
0: I'm just <laughs> um the yeah. forgotten part of life. Yeah. Do you crazy. still get out and play?
1: A little bit. Um, I think I played maybe a month ago. I played nine holes a couple weeks ago. Um, but, you know, like with this COVID thing, some of the courses were closed and I'd just be chipping or hitting pitch shots in the front yard and while my little girl's on the slip and slide or doing running through the sprinkler or whatever so um i don't know i mean i it's one of those things where i've done so many repetitions i can kind of pick up a club and it's like riding a bike um so it it does it it doesn't go far away
0: (laughs) (laughs) right right it's always just kind of hanging out and at least being somewhere where you can do some, you know, a little bit of chipping, and I don't know if you mm-hmm. you cut a putting green or anything like that, but I'm sure you've got. Yeah, some. it's funny.
1: My my father-in-law, he and I just built a little uh, astroturf putting green at his house, <laughs> and uh, like he he lives out on Folly Beach, and and uh, so the girls would be wanting to go to the beach, and all I want to do is like drink beer and put. it's
0: it's just like waterfowling man it's uh it's a way to stay involved with the game even when you can't even be playing it but it's just a way to stay involved man that's right yeah so i I mean good
1: a lot of guys a lot of guys will send me videos i mean members that i taught years ago still send me videos on on their golf swing and i'd you know shoot them stuff back and so it's nice
0: to kind of stay involved a little bit even though I don't I don't really have a home course to be able to go teach
1: at or whatever but um, it's nice to know a member from a club that I
0: worked at eight years ago still, you know, reaches out to me Well, yeah, man, that makes a, a huge difference and, I don't know, it just lets you stay in that teaching aspect of things, you know because it's something that never goes away um, Oh, yeah You know, you do a certain thing with a guy or... Like, I had a lot of buddies that I used to lift with in the Navy that weren't super familiar with lifting. And then, you know, it's been almost a decade now, and I'll still get them hitting me up, and they'll be asking me about something. I'm like, dude, there's Google. You can look that crap up by now. (laughs) You know? But it's, like, it's still cool just to kind of stay a little bit involved or I'll get people asking me some, some duck call questions or something like that. And it's just... It's fun, man. It's that giving back. I've talked about it on a a lot of other podcasts with that type of stuff about back in the day where people didn't share secrets, didn't share information. And nowadays, you know, with everybody, everything's kind of an open book aside from like some really... If you had to put in a lot of work to come up with a process, a finish, or something that's just completely different, like, I get people not wanting to give that away, but all the generic stuff, like, pretty much everybody's an open book. So it's really cool.
1: Well, I like it. I mean, just like golf was for me, it's all about relationships. I mean, I I love that Chris Owens and Brad Samples are –
0: an hour and a half for me and I can hit them up on messenger and, you know, get their opinion on stuff
1: or send them an insert to, for them to blow and give me some feedback or, um, I'm st- I've still been trying to catch up with Chris. Allen. They have a, I think a place that, uh, maybe like family has a place down here in Charleston. They come down every once in a while. I'm trying to catch up with him. Maybe get some shop time hanging out with him, but, um, I just love that, you know, I can reach out to Brad samples when I'm having issues with something and, you know, he takes five minutes out of the day to put a little video together and send it back to me. It's kind of cool.
0: Well, yeah, man, that's the thing that I think people just don't realize how big of an impact they're making by just the little tiny pieces of advice they give somebody who's new. Um, i've said it you know when i first started freaking mike Stelzner was like one of the first guys who was like hey man yeah you're doing good keep doing this work on this work on that took him two minutes out of his day but it made a huge difference to be like dude this dude's one of the best guys ever and he's given me you know advice for free like (laughs) it made a huge difference to me and that's one of those reasons why i've just always tried to I'm not the best guy in the world. I don't know the most stuff, but I know a little bit, and I'll pass it on.
1: Yeah, I mean, even like... uh, Even just like Stump, maybe like six months back, he posted a a picture of like... um, I don't think it was like, like him actually turning a barrel, but he posted a picture of like before he had glued the barrel or pinned it on. And I looked at it, and he had created, like, with a parting tool, he created some, like, relief up near the shoulder of his call, of his barrel. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, that is freaking genius. How many times do I push a, you know, press a bar- uh, band on, and the glue's freaking flying everywhere, and all I need to do is give myself a little bit of relief, and so, like, from now, like, every time I press a band on, I think about the fact that, like, just take two seconds, hit it with a parting tool, make that little
0: that little yeah. groove. Press yep.
1: the, yeah <laughs> press the band on it and like it saves me from trying to wipe epoxy off everything so
0: right yeah man it's the the little tips and just you know the things that you do now you've been doing it for four or five years that mm-hmm. you know you've just learned from other guys you've learned from screwing it up yourself like that's the fun where I could see how that would relate to golf or any type of discipline that you're trying to learn is just picking up all those little things over the years and just working an inch at a time at getting better, you know? Oh yeah. <clears throat> oh yeah. So you were talking about the call maker classic, um, getting the, the inserts back. Are you using your own custom jig at this point?
1: Yeah. So I had Wade make me one, I think two years ago. Yeah. Um, you know, it. I've heard. I've heard you guys talk about it before. Like the the jig I have, it wasn't from the first tone board that like, you know, I figured stuff out on, and you know, where it actually like sounded like a duck had a top end, a middle, a low end. You know, a good chatter, but it, it, it's probably like the tenth or eleventh variation off of that call, um, and so. For a while, I've just been, you know, trying to make that the best I can, and, um, I, I don't know, after talking with Mingo, and, uh, I sent, uh, insert to Brad, and got some feedback on him, from him, uh, but I think I might try to start working on some more prototypes, and, and uh, you know, it's that competitive side of me, like, I want to, I want to make a call that, you know, sounds good and a lot of people can blow and, um, you know, kill ducks with. <laughs>
0: well, yeah, and it's that constant evolution of always trying to build, you know, a better mouse trap and mm-hmm. constantly adapting to it. Uh, I just released the podcast with uh, Michael Meredith like an hour or so ago, and we had mm-hmm. a pretty in-depth conversation about, you know, getting to the custom jig. And how that will allow you to make your call even better by learning different things and back pressures. And it's like, you know, you have that clean starting point of it. So he was just talking about how much of a difference that can make. You know, because you start on that flat jig and you learn a lot. And you figure out how to run a call. You figure out how to, well, not how to run a call, but how to diagnose a call and build a tone board. And he's like, and once you get that custom jig, he's like, I, I made the uh, the comparison of like dropping an LS, like buying a crate LS motor. It's like now you have this platform, this clean, proven platform. Now you can start adding your exhaust variations to it. Now you can, you know, change your barrel length tone channel and really see the difference that you can make with your own call. So the, the tinkering in R&D, man, it never stops. I think, oh, yeah. yeah. I think I saw Kep, Mr. Uh, John Kep, just posted a picture of uh, a newer clear jig. clear inserts. Well, yeah, the clear inserts. He's working on freaking a uh, flat jig again. And he just posted, like, a year ago of another new jig that he had out. And it's like, even guys that have been doing it for 15, 20 years are constantly tweaking and tinkering, man. Right.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's the... That's the beauty of it, like you're saying, build a better mousetrap. I mean, um, you know, whether it's improving a, a boat or a duck call or I don't know, however you can be more efficient at doing stuff. I mean, that's what that's what kind of drives me.
0: What would you say is your uh, your biggest challenge while learning how to make calls, and you know, what was like the biggest step? was it figuring obviously the tone board is such a give me so everybody's just going to say well figuring out a tone board well yeah that's a give me everybody knows that what was your other biggest challenge trying to figure out
1: I think consistency whether it was drilling or um, just trying to be uh, trying to get from A to B as fast as possible without and have the the tightest, I guess, like a, a think like a machinist would. To have the tightest variance, because um, at first, you know, when I first started, I was drilling barrels on the lathe, and uh, you know, I was getting a, a bit that moved, and then trying to figure out, you know, going to a uh, brad point uh, bit that I had started maybe a hole with. With another bit, and then all of a sudden, you know, that got better. The consistency of my, you know, the five eighths hole in my barrel got better. Then getting a drill press once I could afford it, that could, you know, had three inches of travel that I could, you know, take it, put it in the vise and and drill there. Um, You know, just even like when I'm drilling out an insert, just knowing what speed to turn on, knowing you know that I need to start have a little starter hole for my insert so that
0: my quarter inch tone channel doesn't go. You know, start up walking to the right or, yeah. yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> um, I guess when I'm, when I'm when I'm when I'm working, I'm always thinking like, if I was a machinist, how would I make it perfect? You know, how would I dial it in? And so, you know, whether it's a a better chuck or you know, uh, when I first started turning, I joined, like, this woodworkers group uh, that was in Charleston just to, like, just get hands-on time with guys that have been turning stuff for, like, 50 years. They're not, you know, I turn duck holes, they make bowls that look gorgeous, but I'm still learning, you know, how to put something on a, a chuck properly so it's going to spin consistent on your lathe and what's, what speed and how to finish things and sharpening tools. You know, i would started with high speed, uh, steel and now I'm into carbides and, um,
0: which I, which I like a lot better, but, um, <laughs> I agree. But just, you know, that experience
1: learning how to, how to sharpen from a guy who could do it in his sleep, um, you know, is totally invaluable. I mean, if, if someone's just starting out i mean you gotta you gotta find someone that can help you well i guess you can go and make your own mistakes and it takes 10 years to get somewhere where you can get in six months in this day and age you know
0: yeah yeah man definitely it's it's almost like slow down everybody uh you know it's just like slow down take your time Mm-hmm. you're going to eliminate a lot of the screw ups I think everybody's had that you know that moment of ah crap I should have slowed the heck down or they mm-hmm. they drilled out that clear acrylic and you're like well uh, that was too fast and I didn't use enough lubricant so now this is trash <laughs> you know it's uh, it's those little things that you have to learn the hard way or you can slow down and try to figure it out and ask questions
1: yeah Oh yeah, I've got the i got the firewood box. i got <laughs> it's 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 grown.
0: <laughs> if, if you don't have a firewood box or a collection of old junk, craft yeah. calls that you're like, oh, I'm glad this thing fucking stayed at the house, you know, then you're not doing it. <laughs> you're not doing no. it right. I uh, I told, I said it on a podcast a while back, and it's like if you're still tearing up wood three or four months in that means you're trying to progress you're right on pace you know you're in a Mm -hmm. good spot because if you're not you're not taking enough risk and you're not trying to figure it out because anybody can go out there and buy a p1 freaking public jig and buy all their tooling and start spinning stuff that'll sound you know vaguely like a duck within a couple of weeks anybody can do that but if you want to push it to the next level it's going to take a whole lot of screwing up Oh, yeah.
1: I mean, that's, going on, on THO and and Wade's website and just reading through those two websites has definitely, you know, that, that definitely progressed me the fastest. And then, you know, as I'm trying to get better with the craft, just, you know, reaching out to... Other call makers who I know are successful, and just kind of picking their brain. And um, I think I've sent Meredith a couple inserts to blow for me, and uh, you know, get feedback. And um, I mean, just the the, the uh, call making industry and the, pe- the the people who are in it are just wholesome, just great people, uh, and they're just full of knowledge and it's just you know you can't just go after them and and demand like tell me how to do this but if you you know take the time and and reach out to somebody and maybe find somebody in your area it's it's amazing how fast you can kind of progress
0: yeah man it's we're all very unique group of guys that are just doers and uh I don't know, I, I maybe I'm singular. I know a lot of other guys feel the same way. I have a hell of a lot of, hell of a lot of respect for anybody that turns a call. It doesn't matter if they turn five a year, or if they're turning a thousand a year because you know you had to go out there and you had to learn and you had to take the risk and you had to risk the embarrassment of making a horrible call because it happened to all of us. And oh yeah, you have to go through those progressions, and I have a hell of a lot of respect for those type of guys because they're so similar to me and yeah. uh, the mindset's just so similar, even though you might be from a completely different background, different style of doing things. it's just just doers man, people that aren't looking for excuses not to do something.
1: oh yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I've heard you say before, like uh, some of the first calls you wish you could have back, or maybe Meredith was saying he wishes he could have some of those back. But
0: about a hundred um, of them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I've slowly gone to people, and uh, my buddy Matt, who um, was one of the first guys to kind of give me some feedback on uh, my call. I've slowly like, oh, that's the old prototype number three from 2016 oh man you gotta try this one and now like I've got probably the first ten calls that I made and gave away are back here in the shop
0: nice
1: (laughs) the old bait and switch
0: yeah yeah man I see uh, I'll see him come up on you know the Sunday call maker trade every now and then and I'll see some like really old ones and uh, somebody will message me and ask me about it I'm like hey man if you don't like it send it back to me Cause I'll take that sucker out of rotation. And I'll put it back on my <laughs> my collector's pile, and I'll give you a pretty big discount on a new one. You know. Yeah. Yep. I was like, they have come yeah. a long ways in six years, man. Five years, whatever the heck it has been, and uh, oh yeah, we'll make it work out for you. But um, if if people want to reach out to you, man, and grab a call, if you're taking orders, we're gonna get a hold of you yet.
1: Well, I've got a I've got a website. My my call uh, company's called Tecton Game Calls.
0: Uh, I've got a website. It's T E K T O N, correct?
1: Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. And I, I've got uh, you know Facebook page, Instagram. I'm on uh, SE Ducks Forum. That's one of the sponsors on there. Um, so, plenty of places. If you're in Charleston, uh, walking down King Street. You can go to Grady Irvin. They've had my calls there for about a year and a half now, so um, go give them some some business too.
0: Heck yeah, brother. Well, I appreciate you you staying up extra late tonight. We talked about doing it at 8 o'clock, and you sent me a message at like (laughs) 7.05 here, and I was still on the podcast with Michael, and I was like... I was like, okay, well, I got a little bit of time, and then I looked at it, and I was like, oh crap, I didn't even think about him being on the east coast. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, I didn't. Uh, I've got family in Warrenton, Missouri, and I keep I always forget that they're an hour behind. So,
0: man, I had a really funny story about that one time when I was living out in Virginia Beach. I uh, mm-hmm. we were coming home for Christmas for uh, just family vacation, whatever for Christmas, and. Um, I think the Rams were playing the Niners in St. Louis. And I was like, man, I really want to go see a football game. I had just got yeah. back from deployment in November. Maybe it's Thanksgiving. I don't know. But uh, I was like, I really want to go see a football game. I could give two crap about the Rams. It doesn't matter. They're not even in Missouri anymore, so they can go to hell. But uh, <laughs> they, it, I was like, I just want to watch it. And I was like, well, the game starts at 1 o'clock. I've had the tickets. I printed them off before we left. It starts at 1 o'clock or 4 o'clock, whatever it was. And I was like, well, we need to leave. It's about a three-hour trip. I want to get there an hour early so we can park, get our seats, do all that stuff. Well, of course, we end up leaving to where we're only going to be 30 minutes early. And then somebody has to stop and pee. And then we have to get gas. And we have to eat. And I'm like, okay, well, we're still going to be close to on time. We're not going to miss that much. We're going to do introductions and all this nonsense. It never starts until... Well, I get half... We get within like an hour of the stadium, and uh, the radio... I turn it on just to see, uh, you know, pregame talk or anything. I think I was on ESPN radio. And they're already playing the damn game because I'm on East Coast time in my mindset, and it's an hour earlier here in Missouri. (laughs) So we ended up getting there right before halftime, and uh, the freaking... I can't even remember who was the quarterback at the time. It was like 2011, whoever the Rams' last place starting quarterback was. Uh, he went out, and then the backup went out. We ended up watching a third-string quarterback for the second man, half of the game shoot, after shoot. driving for four hours. <laughs> oh, man. It was awesome. That's brutal. <laughs> but anyway, brother. That's brutal i appreciate you coming on here and uh it's been a good one man we've been needing to do this for a minute and i'm glad you did it yeah well thanks for
1: thanks for being a champion for us call makers and uh kind of just doing your thing man i think it's i think it's great and uh if you ever need chat again let me know
0: <laughs> absolutely man and uh if i ever get out your way again i'll have to hit you up
1: yeah let me know for sure uh We can go hunt or go fish or do something. We've got so much to do around here, so bring the fam out, and anytime, you're welcome.
0: I appreciate it, brother. If you're ever in this area of the woods and you need to see a couple ducks and shoot a goose, feel free to hit me up.
1: (laughs) Right on. Right on. I appreciate it.
0: (laughs) No problem at all, man. I hope you have a good night. All right. Be well. Take care, bud. All right. Bye. All right, guys, Joey D'Amico, super nice guy, and one of uh, my favorite parts of the world. If you're uh, listening to this thing on iTunes, make sure you hit that subscribe button, leave us a review, let me know what you think about it. Um, follow us on social media, that good stuff. Join the private podcast group. And I just realized that I said I was going to give away that duck call on Friday, and I did not pay attention and did not. So, I'm going to put a list together and I'll jump on Facebook and uh, make sure I put that sucker out so you guys can grab it and I'll have it shipped out this week to whoever wins as long as they send me some shipping information. Hope you guys have a good one. Thanks.